Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Wilson Center. My name is Matt Rojansky. I'm the director of the Kennan Institute here at Wilson. Uh, we're gathered, of course, today to commemorate the 80th anniversary of the Katyn Massacre. Um, and we're very honored uh, to have with us not only our very distinguished guest speakers, uh, who will be introduced in a moment, but uh, the ambassador of the Republic of Poland to the United States and to the Bahamas. Every time I say that, it just makes me feel wistful about my vacation <laughs> last week. Um, Piotr Vilcek, uh, who hosted us for uh, For, for a very uh, interesting discussion earlier today. I'm, I'm very uh, grateful to have gotten to know him. Um, and of course, uh, our speakers, Alexander Goyanov of Memorial in Moscow and Andrei Novak of Poland's Jagiellonian University. Um, I want to recognize also my colleague, uh, Dr. Christian Osterman, who directs the History and Public Policy Program, which is co-sponsoring today's event here at the Wilson Center, um, and our support from the Polish Embassy um, from many team members of the Polish Embassy, but I want to uh, single out uh, Filip Jasinski, who worked um, incredibly hard with my colleague Isabella Taborowski, whom you'll hear from momentarily to make this happen. Uh, it wouldn't have been possible without your um, exceptional efforts. I'm also uh, pleased to announce, I don't know that this was clear from the invitation, that we actually have an exhibition opening today. We'll, we'll sort of unveil it uh, this evening. Uh, and running for two months here at the Wilson Center. This is something we do from time to time. Um, some of you may recall that we did this on the 100th anniversary of uh, a number of the newly independent uh, Central European countries connected to Woodrow Wilson's 14 points uh, just a few years ago. So this is something we've done before, and we'll have an exhibit on Katyn that comes from the Katyn Museum. Um, so following immediately on this discussion, which will go about an hour and a half, I think, we'll move just across the hall, still on this floor, uh, for a light reception. Uh, and you'll be able to view uh, at least a part, I think, or most of the exhibit, uh, which has been temporarily moved to the reception hall. Um, so I think we'll be, we'll be ushered in the right direction by my colleagues. Now uh, let me introduce Ambassador Vilcek, who will then uh, uh, introduce the event. Uh, Ambassador Vilcek has served as Polish Ambassador to the United States and the Commonwealth of the Bahamas since 2016. Um, he's a highly recognized intellectual historian, professor, writer, and translator. He's a graduate of the University of Silesia in Poland, where he uh, received his PhD uh, and served as a professor and as dean for 22 years. Uh, during his diplomatic term, Ambassador Vilcek has developed defense cooperation between Poland and the United States, strengthened commerce and trade links, enhanced energy security, and advocated for Poland's long-awaited inclusion in the visa waiver program. Ambassador Wilczek is a board member of numerous international scholarly journals, advisory councils, and educational initiatives in Europe and the United States. He has edited 22 published monographs and over 100 journal articles, which have appeared in Poland, the United Kingdom, and the United States. So it is an honor and a pleasure to welcome you to our, our scholarly institution here, Ambassador Wilczek. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Gurianov, Professor Novak, uh, colleagues, thank you for joining us today and many thanks to the Kennan Institute and Wilson Center for their hospitality. Many thanks to Matthew Rojanski, to Isabella and, and the whole staff. 
It means a lot that so many people remember this important anniversary of the Katyn massacre. In times of ongoing international conflicts and mass killings, the fate of the Polish intelligentsia, military and law enforcement officers, civil servants, and people of all faiths and professions is a powerful reminder and somber recollection. First of all, allow me to thank again the Kennan Institute and especially Isabella Tabarowski for her engagement in organizing this unprecedented gathering of two renowned scholars, Professor Guryanov from Russia, from the Memorial Association, and Professor Novak from Poland, the Polish Academy in Sciences of, of Sciences and the Aguilonian University. You'll hear from researchers who are best prepared to talk about what happened in the cutting forest and what it means now after 80 years. Secondly, I am proud of the cooperation forged with the Warsaw Cutting Museum, from which we received an exhibition just mentioned by Matthew about the Soviet atrocities. It is a very special museum and I encourage you all to visit. Last but not least, I would like to recognize a very special attendee. Mr. Eitner is the grandson of Polish police officer Kazimierz Eitner. Welcome, Mr. Eitner. Our guest, as I mentioned, is, a is the grandson of a Polish police officer, Kazimierz Eitner, who perished in 1940 together with the thousands of other victims of the communist crime. Thank you for joining us in the Institute and sharing your family's story. Finally, please join me for a moment of silence commemorating the victims of the Katyn massacre. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Thank you very much, Mr. Ambassador. I'm Isabella Tabarovsky with the Kennan Institute at the Wilson Center. Um, I'd like to, to the announcements and the thank yous that were mentioned, I'd like to add uh, a, a few words from our history and public policy program that is co-sponsoring co today's event, uh, that the program has released a new collection of primary source documents about the Katyn massacre on its digital archive. The documents are drawn from archives in the United States and Russia. They include investigations made by the U.S. government. They also include protests that the Soviet government made about memorialization plans in the United Kingdom. They include Soviet rejections of responsibility and later moves for internal investigations memorialization. And the files can be accessed by going to digitalarchive.org. Now, it is my honor to introduce our guests. 
I will start by introducing um, Dr. Gurianov. Alexander Gurianov is the Polish Program Coordinator for the Human Rights Center Memorial in Moscow. He is the author and co-author of numeral, numerous scholarly articles on Soviet political repressions against Polish citizens perpetrated after September 17, 1939. He compiled and co-authored the volume entitled Repressions Against Poles and Polish Citizens, published by Memorial in 1997. He also co-authored and co-edited 18 books in the Index of the Repressed series, jointly published by Memorial and the Warsaw-based Carta Center. And finally, he compiled and co-authored two books published by Memorial on the memory of the Katyn massacre victims killed in, in Katyn and killed in Katyn, buried in Mednoye. And I want to point out, we have these books here. They're really extraordinary documents. And if you have a chance, come up uh, after the event and take a look at them. Um, and uh, now Professor Andrzej Novak is a professor at the Institute of, of History of Jagiellonian University and is the head of the Comparative Imperial Studies section at the Institute of History at the Polish Academy of Sciences. Between 1980 and 88, he was involved in anti-communist journalistic and educational activities in Poland, publishing many articles in the underground magazines, as well as participating in a system of alternative lectures of history for workers organized during the martial law in Poland. He's the author of more than 30 books. He has lectured as a visiting professor at several universities in the United States, and his main research interests include imperial studies, cultural and political history, and political thought in Russia and Eastern Europe in the 19th, 20th century, international relations, European historical memory policies. He has received many awards and honors, including the Order of the White Eagle, Poland's highest order. We will begin with Professor Novak's presentation. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, of course, a very grim occasion and a very grim story to be uh, told here. But uh, I would risk uh, maybe a, a little bit strange assessment that this is a very grim story with a kind of hope in the end. Uh, we cannot help victims of this tragedy that we will discuss today. Um, they cannot be revived. But one victim, and a very important one, that is truth, uh, can be saved. And it is saved uh, through the efforts of people like Dr. Guryanov and Memorial Society. So my first remembrance from Russia, when I visited Russia in 1989 for the first time on a historical conference dealing with 19th century history, I happened to be in Kalinin, as it was known at that time, now Tver. And one of participants of the conference, uh, Russian historian, Byzantinologist, Maren Freidenberg, uh, took me, grabbed me, and uh, showed me a building in Kalinin, Tver. This is the place where NKVD shot Polish uh, officers. It was, of course, absolutely forbidden by then to tell these things, even if it were times already of Pierestroika and of Gorbachev. It was still banned officially, truth. And it was strange because this man has a very strange name, Maren, which is uh, simply abbreviation from Marx and Engels, uh, a typical Soviet name in the interwar period. Both of his parents were shot uh, in 1937, 1938 as Trotskites. So he son of communist parents who experienced tragedy that, that engulfed not just Poland, but first and foremost uh, the Soviet Union, understood how it is important for other nations, other victims of that system, 
to find truth about the faith that that we shared actually that we shared um, so uh, if I would have to answer in one sentence what was the reason for cutting I would say that it was combination little combination of uh, a universalist but totalitarian version of communist ideology with I would call it imperial geopolitics. First, I would uh, uh, try to say a few words about uh, imperial geopolitics. There is Moscow, there is Berlin, and there is Warsaw in between. This is the gist of this imperial geopolitics. Two very powerful nations, two very powerful state structures that could be named and named themselves empires, that is Russia and Germany, uh, throughout centuries fought for predominance over not only Eastern Europe, but Europe as such, continental Europe at least. And Poland being placed in between and losing many centuries fight uh, with Russia for Eastern Europe was erased from the map by these two, actually at that time three powers with Habsburg Empire as the third element. When Poland was revived after more than 120 years with the help of the patron of this center, I mean President Wilson, um, it was endangered immediately, as many of you know, uh, with the event that we will also uh, celebrate this year as 100 years anniversary of uh, uh, the fight between Poland and Soviet Russia uh, and defense, successful defense of Poland, Warsaw, and not only Warsaw and Poland, but all Central Europe, many countries at least in uh, Central Europe, from uh, the perspective of being Sovietized and overwhelmed exactly with this not only imperial geopolitics, drive of Bolshevik leaders to get to Berlin, to another center of communist hopes for Europe, but uh, also imperial geopolitics, to, uh, sorry, but also uh, this communist ideology that should be spread, even with the help of the Red Army, even with the help of, uh, of, uh, of, of the force. Uh, and I'm mentioning 1920 not only because it's anniversary this year, but because it is one of the reasons that are debated still among historians why cutting. Josef Stalin was a commissar uh, of one of two fronts that attacked Poland at that time in 1920, political commissar. He was striving to get to Lwów, and uh, being just at the gates of Lwów, he cabled to Lenin that after we got Lwów, we would be able to Sovietize Czechoslovakia, Romania, Hungary, Austria, all the way down to Italy. These are Stalin's words from July 1920. And he was stopped there. He was humiliated there by Polish army, and he was accused by his Bolshevik colleagues from Politburo that he was one of the responsibles for the debacle on the Warsaw, because he didn't release so-called Konarmia of Budionne, the powerful uh, force that, uh, that was with his front attacking Lwów, 
to help on the main line of attack towards Berlin by another front, by Tuchachevsky. So for Stalin personally, 1920 was a big humiliation, political humiliation, that Poles were responsible of. Uh, this is not my interpretation. I must say that Katyn uh, uh, was a revenge, personal revenge by Stalin. But many historians, even serious historians, still uh, ponder this, uh, this possibility. Nevertheless, it is important context to understand what happened then. So Stalin, when he took power in the Soviet Union, prepared the country for the fight uh, with the whole world. Uh, to exactly to to use uh, the, the nearest occasion to uh, to spread the revolution to spread a communist message in its Soviet version um, outside uh, to Central Europe, and he used this uh, occasion as we know in 1939. But before that, we must recollect another great achievement, not of Stalin but of Memorial Society. I mean the fact that memorial uh, activists from Russia revealed the whole truth of an operation that was six times bigger crime in numbers, in sheer numbers, than cutting. I mean so-called Polish operation. In 1937, 1938, where many of you know uh, time of so-called the Great Purge in Russia, in which Six, uh, sorry, 656,000 people were shot during these two years in the Soviet Union. We usually collect that event with Anna Akhmatova and her son, uh, Russian intellectuals, or old Bolshevik God. But this is not true, or this is not the whole truth. The main culprit of the Great Purge were different nationalities, and Poles were number one on the list of victims. In the so-called Polish operation on one order, and this is probably the single order because we don't have a uh, Nazi order from Wannsee Conference as a document, but we have document on Polish operation. And on this one order, there were shot 111,091 people on one order, one paper. Why they were shot? Poles living in the Soviet Union, because they were treated by Stalin as exactly unreliable, unreliable minority that could undermine effort to fight this great war against uh, Poland, against Central European countries, so it's better to get rid of them physically. And that's how it happened in 1937-1938. Every fifth Pole living in the Soviet Union was shot every second male, actually. Uh, so this was something that Norman Neimark from Stanford University called the, the most horrible example of pre-Holocaust genocide in the Soviet Union. Terry Martin, another scholar from here, from Harvard University, assessed that when you were Pole in the Soviet Union during the Great Purge, there was 40 times greater chance of being shot than being average citizen of the Soviet Union during that time. And the time came, the time for the war. Uh, Stalin extended his hand to Hitler in need in 1939, Ribbentrop Molotov Pact, which was not non-aggression pact, but the, the very essence of aggression pact that divided Eastern Europe, not just Poland, but also three Baltic republics and Romania and Finland, by the way. 
uh, were on this secret protocol. And as a consequence, Soviet army uh, entered, uh, Red Army entered Poland. But before that, before September 17th, when the, the Red Army, according to the agreement with Hitler, entered to, to finish off with Poland, Wawrinty Beria, uh, the new head of NKVD, Special Political Police in uh, the Soviet Union, uh, prepared nine operational groups, 70 NKVD officers and 300 soldiers each, that were to prepare prescription lists of every member of Polish political parties, from the leftist to the rightist, everyone member of Polish political parties were to be found on that list, along with uh, Polish officials, Polish policemen, and so on and so forth. And it was a week before the, 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 the attack of the Soviet army to the back of the Polish army fighting against Hitler already for two weeks. Uh, and this preparation for further action of special forces was uh, put into reality after September 17, when Red Army entered Eastern Poland, nowadays Western Ukraine and Western Belarusia. And Poland helpless at that moment because all its forces were fighting against Germans. Uh, couldn't stop a uh, new Soviet offensive, undeclared war. Uh, and that's why uh, very quickly uh, 250 to 270,000 Polish soldiers and officers uh, became captives of uh, the Red Army. Beria prepared a special directorate of NKVD already in September 20th to prepare camps for these prisoners. Uh, average soldiers were relatively quickly released for, uh, for some uh, labor, uh, for some fo uh, forced labor, um, but officers were kept in uh, several uh, special camps. Three of them were especially important. Kozielsk, uh, uh, near Katyn, near Smolensk, Starobielsk, near Kharkov, now in eastern Ukraine, and Ostashkov, near Kalinin, Tver. Uh, altogether, there were placed uh, something like 15,000 officers and police officers of Poland. Among them, there were 11,000 of Polish officers, predominantly uh, uh, officers of reserve, that were summoned to defend country, the country during the Nazi aggression in September 1939. I'm stressing that fact that there were reserve officers predominantly because they were in their everyday life um, medicine doctors, architects, lawyers, simply the elite, intellectual elite of Poland. Uh, there were not just 20 generals, uh, several hundred of colonels, uh, many thousands of majors and captains, but they were, to stress again, the intellectual elite of Poland. And that made them a special, I would say, uh, victim from the point of view of Stalin. Of course, uh, for their final fate, I would say that n not only this general, uh, I would say, uh, reason was important. General reason to decapitate Pol Poland, to, to, to finish off with its elite. 
Actually, this goal, this general goal, was shared between Stalin and Hitler. There were at least four conferences between SS officers and NKVD officers, uh, first of them in Brest, uh, uh, Brzeźć, uh, uh, Litewski, uh, others in Zakopane and in Kraków, where uh, NKVD and SS debated methods of fighting with Polish elites, with Polish uh, underground. It is not certain, and I doubt it personally, that these conferences decided the, 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 the fate of, uh, of, uh, of all the victims of what we call cutting operation. No, it was decided by Stalin himself. But at the same time, Hitler uh, initiated exactly analogical operation, so-called AB operation, in which uh, many thousands of Polish intelligentsia were shot in Palmyry, Piaśnica, in many other places. Exactly at the same time, uh, the beginning of 1940, the first month of 1940. So there is no proof that there was a combined action, but the action was parallel. That is something that we can, uh, we can uh, say for sure. Uh, and the fact is that SS and NKVD debated methods of, of, uh, of eliminating uh, Polish resistance. Uh, the moment of, um, of decision to, to liquidate physically Polish officers in these three camps that I mentioned came in early March. What happened? What, what, uh, what made this decision uh, to happen? Actually, it was the time when Stalin was humiliated again in his not very successful war against Finland. I would like to uh, remind you that Finland was also on the list of Ribbentrop-Molotov Pact. It belonged to Stalin according to that pact. So Stalin wanted to get Finland, but unlike Poland, uh, Finland was not attacked from two sides, but only from one side, the Soviet side. And defending bravely, and getting help from Western countries, from uh, especially United Kingdom and France, still not attacked by Germany at that time, uh, Finland was able at least to make some anxiety in Moscow, especially when uh, Stalin learned from his, uh, from his uh, agents uh, in MI5 in London that uh, London uh, Panders uh, bombing of Baku and other oil fields in southern Soviet Union as a means of deterring Russia from further action in Finland. So Stalin decided to stop the war in Finland and it saved Finland for several decades, actually. But this particular moment persuaded Stalin that it is dangerous to have Polish officers that could be used with changed political situation by the army, Polish army that already recreated itself in France at that time and was to intervene in Finland. There was a Polish brigade, so-called Podhalańska Brigada, that was to be sent to Finland to fight against Soviet Union. And this could be, we don't have sure sources from what was going on in Stalin's mind. But this could be another reason that Stalin decided at that particular moment, March, the beginning of March, the end of February 1940, that 
the best way of solving Polish problem is to behead it, that is to behead Polish nation. And so Wawrienti Iberia, head of NKVD, sent uh, a kind of memorandum to Politburo uh, on March 2nd, 1940, in which he enumerated 14,736 officers from these three camps and suggested to kill also 11,000 of inmates in different political prisons in Lvov, um, Minsk, um, and other uh, cities of occupied half of uh, eastern Poland. Uh, actually, uh, the, the final action that was, uh, that was um, uh, so to speak, authorized by Politburo three days later, March 5th, Stalin signed together with Mołotow, Woroszyłow, Mikoyan, Kaganowicz, and Kalinin. Uh, they signed the final decision to to do what Beria proposed officially. Uh, so uh, finally, uh, they decided to shot 22,000 people uh, on one order. So now we have another one single order in which there is every detail of every name, and it was checked before uh, killing, uh, and every one of these victims was killed individually not with a machine gun, not with in a gas chamber. It doesn't mean any better or worse this kind of death. Nevertheless, it makes it unique because every single person was shot with a single shot by a single man. So it means a great operation to kill individually 22,000 people. Actually, it is also important to stress that not one of this henchman that did this operation was uh, somehow gotten by the justice hand. Quite the opposite. 125 among them were given financial, uh, so to speak, remuneration for their, for their efforts to kill so many people. Uh, the operation took place in uh, April and May uh, 1940. It was very difficult logistically. It was done in three places, basically, uh, as regards these three, uh, three camps. In Kozielsk, uh, people, inmates from Kozielsk were, uh, were transported to Katyn near Smolensk when they were shot in a forest individually. Uh, people from Starobielsk were transported to Kharkov when they were shot in, uh, in the prison of NKVD in this city. Just like in uh, Ostashkov, uh, people from that camp were transported to Kalinin and they were shot in the prison. And from there, their bodies were transported to Miednoye when they were buried. Uh, it is interesting that in Katyn, uh, the henchman used uh, a German uh, type of pistol, uh, Walter, because it was very popular among uh, uh, NKVD. That would be important in Katyn's lie. But uh, in uh, Miednoye uh, and in Kharkov, uh, the, the, the pistol that was used and, uh, and uh, ammunition that was used was uh, Soviet, Nagant uh, type of pistol. And by the way, uh, Kalinin was never occupied by uh, German army, so there is no way to, to, to say that Germans uh, got there. Uh, 
uh, and using uh, Soviet type of pistols uh, shot Polish officers. Nevertheless, I'm stressing these elements because Dr. Guryanov would say uh, afterwards, uh, I, I, will, uh, I will finish in a minute, um, how the, uh, the lie about cutting developed. Uh, besides, uh, 900 people from Lvov prison, uh, 500 people from Wutsk, uh, 500 people from Ruvno, 500 people from Tarnopol, uh, 400 people from Stanisławów, 200 people from Drohobycz. These were quotas set by Beria. So many people must be shot. And they were shot in the same operation. We don't have the exact quota for Belarus. The list of Belarus victims, I mean those who were killed in contemporary Belarus, uh, in cutting operation, so-called cutting operation, is still not accessible. That is one of important goals for historians to got this Belarusian list. The operation ended in May 1941 and it was revealed Two years later, but Germans, I will stop, I, I want just to say one word. 40 rok, w maju 40. Yes, that, that's right, but uh, the final revelation to the public, to the universal public, went with communique of uh, German Berlin Radio in uh, April 1943. And I want to end on this note. Two days later, it, it happened on uh, April, 19, uh, April 13, 1943, when Germans reached Katyn and learned before about what happened there and wanted to use it in anti-Soviet propaganda. Polish government decided to ask International Red Cross to clarify the situation. And two days later, on March 15, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, whom so many of us admire, and I belong to that group that admire Winston Churchill, invited Polish Prime Minister in exile, General Sikorski, to breakfast uh, and told him, it is obvious that the Soviets did it, but we will not reveal it because otherwise we would compromise our relationship with the power on which depends the, the, the final outcome of the war. So we have to lie, and we will lie consequently. And the history of that lie would be revealed in details by Dr. Guryanov. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, I just want to say that Dr. Gurianov will speak in Russian, so if you need to please use your headsets. If you don't have one but need one, raise your hand and somebody will. Can we get one? So, okay, just uh, I'm seeing maybe about 10, 10 or so that we need. Uh, so English is on channel two, Russian is on channel one. Okay. Um, so I think maybe, why don't we, why don't we start and uh, We'll be bringing the, the headsets <coughs> in a moment. Please. Dear ladies and gentlemen, at the beginning I would like to say that I am very grateful to the Kennan Institute for invitation for today's meeting and for the opportunity to speak to you. Unfortunately, my, Russian, my English is not good enough so I will have to speak Russian and uh, to use the help uh, of the wonderful interpreter, uh, Mr. Wojciechowski. 
The cutting uh, massacre is not uh, only a, a non-trial murder of 14,000 Polish prisoners of war and 7,300 prisoners of uh, prisons uh, on the, based on the decision of uh, uh, Politburo decision uh, dated March 5th of 1940. It is also a 50-year-long campaign of disinformation and lies that Soviet Union was disseminating all around the country and around the world. This campaign is known as the cutting lie. The fundamental uh, change in the official position of the USSR took place in 1990, and one year later the USSR uh, collapsed, and the problem of attitude to the cutting uh, crime was inherited by Russia. So the goal of my speech is to tell you briefly about the history of the cutting lie. This history can be divided into three main stages. One is from April 1940 to the moment of uh, German announcement in April 1943. Phase two from April 1943 to Soviet admission of guilt in uh, 1990. And phase three is from uh, 1990 until today. This phase one started uh, simultaneously with the executions of uh, 1940. In the course of six weeks, the prisoners of war were, this, were sent day after day from the camps uh, to the places of executions in groups of several uh, dozens to a group of 500 per day. This whole operation was carried out in high secrecy one month before it took place and Cavede ordered to uh, interrupt their uh, uh, mail correspondence with families. So in uh, April and May, the prisoners uh, willingly believed that they are about to be handled uh, back uh, and uh, sent to a neutral country and uh, get liberated. They were waiting for uh, the next shipment. And in order to uh, reassure them even more, every time before this group was uh, dispatched, each uh, group was given uh, a new uh, package of mail from families. Every as soon as uh, the executions were over, uh, it was followed by a targeted campaign of disinformation. Every time uh, inquiries came from their families uh, why uh, mailing was stopped, and uh, some rare instances of inquiries from Polish Red Cross and International Red Cross uh, responses were given by the Soviet Red Cross saying, we have no information about this individual. And after German beginning of German invasion to the USSR in June, 19, in June uh, 1941, the USSR had to make a military alliance with Great Britain and then sign a treaty with a legitimate Polish uh, um, government in exile in London. This uh, Soviet-Polish agreement about uh, restoration of uh, Soviet-Polish relations uh, 
uh, announced invalid the agreement with Germany about division of Poland and envisaged that all Polish citizens were in Soviet imprisonment camps and in, in uh, Siberian uh, exile would be uh, uh, set free and would uh, take part uh, in uh, fighting um, against Germany in the so-called uh, Anders Army. And it was envisaged that that army would be uh, put together out of those who were uh, set free. And so after that agreement, the inquiries about the fate of individuals that uh, had disappeared uh, the inquiries were made not only by families and Red Cross, but also by the Polish government and military command. But the answers remained uh, unchanged. We know nothing. Uh, in December of 1943, in a personal meeting with Polish uh, Prime Minister Vladislav Sikorski and uh, Polish uh, military commander in USSR Vladislav Anders, Stalin in, uh, said that maybe those Polish officers ran away to Manchuria. But as soon as on April 13, 1943, Berlin Radio announced that uh, mass graves of Polish officers who had been shot were found. Two days later, a Soviet government um, uh, made an official statement from Soviet Foreign Bureau that those Polish prisoners uh, of war had been used in uh, labor um, uh, used by the um, uh, in 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 uh, summer of 1941 had been uh, seized by the Germans. So this was an unintended uh, self-revealing uh, lie. Uh, they uh, made a new lie that um, that revealed uh, the old lie, which uh, now which they uh, now they were saying that Germans had uh, caught those uh, prisoners of war and executed them. This was phase two. So after Smolensk and the region was liberated by uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, this version of uh, German crime was uh, perpetuated by a special commission uh, that was named a special commission for establishment of circumstances of uh, shooting uh, of Polish officers in Katyn Forest by German uh, invaders. Even before the committee uh, published its report, it, it, its goal was determined by the title. This uh, uh, announcement was signed in January 1944 by um, Professor Burtenko and other members of the commission. But as soon as Smolensk was uh, retaken, as soon as October 1943, uh, Specially uh, dispatched uh, NKVD officers sent from Moscow, uh, the so-called Czechists, the Soviet uh, secret police, they were sent on purpose from Moscow, and they were preparing uh, falsified proofs for the future commission to show that it was Germans' fault. They uh, prepared evidence uh, which allegedly would show that these prisoners had been shot by Germans in the fall of 1941. They uh, prepared uh, some local uh, residents uh, to testify 
and in the pockets of those um, um, shot prisoners, they stuffed all kinds of papers dated 1941. One of the key proofs, there are many of them in that uh, report of Bordenko Commission, but one of the key proofs was uh, falsified notes made in a notebook of a local lawyer uh, who uh, the occupation force appointed to be uh, the city mayor and who uh, then uh, withdrew with Germans from Smolensk. Another uh, evidence was uh, testimony of Boris Vasilevsky, his former deputy, who stayed in Smolensk. In exchange for um, uh, pardon, he testified uh, that allegedly in the fall of 1941, he was told by his chief that Germans executed uh, Polish prisoners of war. This man, Menshagin, uh, who had not known anything in 1945, uh, he ended up uh, serving 25 years in a Soviet uh, prisons, but he is an interesting figure, and I have no time to speak much about him, but well, I want to say that a big book by Pavel Polyan was published about Boris uh, Menshagin, and I'm happy to give this book now to the Kennan Institute. So, uh, going back to the Burdenko Commission report, it became the base of Soviet version for several decades, and in order to legalize it internationally, the USSR tried to use the Nuremberg trial uh, against uh, key military criminals of the Nazis in Germany. A Burdenko report was presented there as proof of uh, German atrocity, and uh, it was included in the official uh, charges against the the accused. But the USSR uh, counted uh, on the um, uh, rules of the tribunal, uh, where uh, which required that uh, such documents presented by parties would be accepted without uh, analysis. However, the defenders of the German uh, prisoner of the German uh, uh, defendants. Uh, were able to have uh, uh, to, to, to bring testimony of witnesses and uh, the witnesses uh, presented by German uh, defenders uh, per, um, convincingly convincingly disproved the Soviet version whereas uh, the testimony of witnesses from uh, the prosecutor the Soviet prosecutor were so unconvincing that the shooting of Polish officers in Katyn was not included in the final sentencing of the International Tribunal. Nevertheless, in the course of several decades afterwards, the Soviet Union continued to insist that the Polish officers in Katyn forest were shot by Germans in the fall of 1941, and they kept making references to the International Military Tribunal even though the, the tribunal had not formally 
ruled that um, the uh, cut in uh, execution will not be a part of the sentencing. So Western claims about Soviet crimes were officially denounced by USSR foreign ministry as uh, Goebbels-style propaganda and uh, anti-Soviet uh, Nazi-invented uh, lies. Only 50 years later, um, in uh, April of 1990, uh, an official statement of uh, Soviet government was published about immediate uh, responsibility of Beria Merkulov and his henchmen uh, for this uh, heavy crime of Stalinist regime. And they tried to avoid mentioning NKVD uh, at all. They just said Beria, Merkulov, and their henchmen. This was the beginning of the third phase of the history of uh, 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 cutting uh, narrative in uh, Russia. On the same day, uh, Gorbachev uh, um, handed a batch of documents about incoming executions to uh, President Jaruzelski of Poland. And uh, at the same, uh, at that same year, the uh, Russian uh, prosecutor's office started a formal investigation of this uh, crime. They established uh, previously unknown places of burial of uh, the prisoners from uh, Starobil's camp and uh, Kalinin uh, camp. They established the initiators, uh, the participants, and the organizers of those uh, shootings. They were able to find and uh, record testimony of several of them, including a former camp NKVD chief, uh, Supranenko, and Tokarev. They were able to uh, uh, disprove uh, or, or reveal the falsification of uh, the work of Burdenko Commission. And in 93, decisions of Politburo were published on the orders of uh, Boris Yeltsin, which uh, revealed the guilt of Stalin and other Soviet leaders, uh, showing that it was their decisions to uh, shoot those uh, people. And a special statement of uh, Russian Duma, Russian uh, legislature, in 2010 was also uh, made about uh, recognizing this crime. Does this mean that uh, cutting lie has been uh, uh, revealed, totally revealed in Russia? Formally, yes, because for 20 plus years, Russian uh, government no longer blames uh, German invaders for this. But in reality, the the position of uh, today's official uh, Russia is uh, uh, duplicitous and uh, uh, even though they recognize that uh, thousands of uh, Polish uh, citizens had been executed. Uh, the whole world did not believe in this, but uh, for um, this is important for the Russian people. On the other hand, uh, Russian courts and prosecutors still refuse to recognize individual Polish uh, prisoners of war as uh, victims. 
of um, uh, those uh, shots, even though their names are listed in the documents of 1940, but the prosecutor refuses, prosecutor's office refuses to verify the political motive of those killings and even admit the fact of their individual uh, killings. In other words, um, the victims are still uh, discussed as um, uh, an anonymous mess of individuals. If they are anonymous, then this um, crime will be perceived as an abstract crime. And uh, they continue uh, to make effort, uh, efforts are continued to uh, soften uh, public perception of this crime by means of creating so-called anti-cutting. The claims that the shootings of uh, Polish officers in 1940 was kind of like retaliation for the mass executions of Soviet uh, Red Army soldiers and officers by, uh, by uh, Polish army in 1920, even though there are no documents who would, that would uh, confirm this. And there is no reason to uh, make any guesses about the motives of Stalin and his henchmen. This motive was clearly formulated in that report by Beria to the Central Committee of uh, Communist Party. This letter, this report, explains that those listed, enumerated um, individuals need to be shot uh, because, quote, they all are incorrigible and ingrained enemies of the Soviet power. And I want to say that Soviet documents have not a single mention in the archives that these individuals were interrogated about their participation on the war of 1920. And I think that line from Beria fully explains the motive. The um, uh, formal investigation uh, by Soviet pros Russian prosecutors was stopped in uh, 2004 uh, with motivation uh, suspects have been dead and um, there is some uh, unofficial but reliable information that only four individuals were recognized as a uh, guilty party, and that is uh, the chief of NKVD Beria and his deputies Merkulov, Kabulov, and Bashtakov. These four individuals were qualified by the Military Prosecutor's Office of Russia in accordance with Article 193 of Criminal Code of uh, 1940 as uh, abuse of power by chiefs of uh, Red Army. Wherefore, uh, the key uh, culprits, uh, the, the, the um, uh, Stalin himself and other political leaders, are no longer cons uh, indicated as um, as uh, guilty, but uh, guilt is uh, placed on a few individuals in NKVD who allegedly just abuse their powers, uh, whereas Stalin has nothing to do with this. So the names and bios of 100. 193 participants and organizers of uh, those shootings from uh, top uh, chiefs to individual shooters and drivers of uh, trucks were established by historians and published. And uh, there is a book by Nikita Petrov awarded for killings. 
and I'm giving this book to the Canon Institute. But those participants of the crimes were not um, recognized by the prosecutor's office as guilty. Uh, uh, apparently, uh, following the idea that if you fulfilled orders, uh, I have two more minutes, okay. Uh, if you fulfilled orders, you're not guilty. All this uh, position of uh, Russia's government essentially is uh, um, uh, contradicts uh, the statement of Russian government of 1990 about responsibility for this crime. It uh, reflects the moral uh, problems of the Russian uh, state. And I'm sure that uh, this is our internal problem for Russia primarily. And secondly, it's a problem for Russian-Polish relations. A legal resolution of this uh, problem would help uh, provide a more healthy future for the Russian nation. And we believe that the necessary legal steps to be taken is, number one, to fully declassify and publish all materials of the investigation died by a Russian uh, military prosecutor. Number two, continue that investigation and give an adequate uh, uh, evaluation of this uh, of Katyn massacre as a military crime instead of that grotesque qualification based on the criminal code of 1940. Number three, it is important to recognize Stalin and other members of Politburo as guilty in this crime, as together with all others who carried out the orders. And their names need to be published. Number four, the names uh, and places of burial of all Polish citizens uh, that were shot based on the orders of uh, May uh, March 5th, 1940. Uh, all those who were executed need to be uh, proclaimed uh, rehabilitated in accordance with the law. Thank you. So we're going to have uh, uh, some questions uh, from the audience, but uh, while the audience is getting ready, I want to ask um, a couple of questions. I have a question for uh, Professor Novak. So I um, obviously after the war Poland became it, it became communist came under the communist regime. What was uh, the understanding of the Katyn massacre then? Was there popular was there a collective memory of it separate from what the government was saying and and doing? Uh, what was that like? Mm-hmm. Actually, it was quite. Uh, popular, uh, widespread, to say the least, uh, uh, knowledge, who did it. Uh, Due to uh, the mass audience, the Berlin radio reached uh, as the only available radio during the Nazi occupation of Poland. And even though Poles didn't trust, obviously, Germans who killed many hundreds of thousands of Poles during that time, nevertheless, it was so obvious, the lists and uh, the context of that fact, that most of the people, especially after the breach of relations uh, uh, that was decided by Stalin exactly over the cutting issue, the breach of relations with the Sikorsky government, that Stalin has ill will, that Stalin hides something. That was obvious for many hundreds of thousands of Poles. And uh, Katyn also created something that could be called uh, 
a, a relatively big community of mourning or of uh, memory. That is thousands of people who were members of families. By the way, I have to add to the victims. Uh, uh, right after cutting operation in April 1940, uh, there were deported 60,000 of members of cutting massacre uh, victims. These family members were sent just in case to Kazakhstan. Uh, of course, only those who lived under Soviet uh, occupation, those who lived under German occupation, survived. Of many, by the way, uh, who, who went to Kazakhstan also survived, but experienced uh, all atrocities of the Soviet labor camps. Nevertheless, these family members were uh, numbered in uh, thousands. Uh, of these uh, 14,000 officers and taken together 22,000 missing persons. That's why there was unofficial but absolutely widespread knowledge that cutting was uh, the, the deed of NKVD and Stalin. Of course, it was banned by the official authorities uh, that came from Moscow to Poland. Uh, even though there was an interesting episode, effort of a Polish procur uh, 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 procurator uh, uh, who tried to reveal the truth, uh, Procurator Martini, uh, in an official uh, investigation in 1945-1946. But he was immediately killed in 1946 by a young girl in a mysterious, uh, so to speak, accident. Um, just like many others, uh, I would say, uh, uh, people who had a real knowledge of what happened in, in Katyn, they were either terrorized or eliminated, not only in Poland, but also in other countries. But this is a different story. So from my perspective, when I attended to school uh, in 60s and uh, early 70s, I mean primary school, uh, my history teacher, who happened to be my mom, uh, taught truth. That was, uh, that was really risky. Uh, my teacher of military uh, training, because there was such a uh, time that, that we had this military training in, uh, in, uh, in uh, primary schools, taught that it was, it, these were Germans responsible. Of course, no one believed him, but he was giving, uh, well, um, I am not a, a very big, big victim, but nevertheless, you could earn the, the worst possible grade for telling the truth about this. That, that's it. That's not much, of course. But that depicts the situation in uh, 60s, 70s. And Gomułka, who ruled Poland for a long time, decided he knew perfectly well what happened in, uh, in Katyn, that for geopolitical reasons, due to geopolitical reasons, we should never allow to debate openly cutting. So he didn't trust the Soviets, he didn't uh, believe in their friendship, but due to geopolitical character of his own rule over Poland and its basis in Moscow, he decided, and of course it was continued under Gierek, that the truth should not be revealed. Thank you very much. And um, um, Alexander, I have a question for you. Um, uh, outside Memorial, is Katyn something that is discussed in the Russian society? Where does it fit in the, in the current existing or non-existing debate about Stalin's repressions and, and broader political repressions in the Soviet Union? 
I would say that the main problem in the Russian society today is uh, deep ignorance about facts uh, re related to Katyn. I can uh, refer to uh, a sociological survey which uh, uh, actually is uh, 10 years old. If we can see my slide, I can show you the numbers. Uh, that's a survey that was done by uh, Levada Center in, um, in Moscow. You can see that in March of 2010, why it is important, this was March, was the uh, this was before the uh, accident uh, with a Polish uh, airplane uh, that brought the delegation from uh, Poland uh, led by the president. Uh, so this was in March before people heard something about Katyn. Only 43% heard something. 47% knew nothing, and 10% were not sure. But of course, after the accident in uh, Smolensk, when they uh, twice watched the film uh, Cutting by Andrzej Wajda, it was first shown before the accident and second time after the accident, then the number of those who knew something has grown much, 74%. But among those who knew something, they were asking, do you think, uh, who do you think uh, was uh, guilty of this crime? And uh, table two only uh, applies to those uh, 47 percent of uh, the first table. So out of those who heard something, only 19 percent believed that the USSR was uh, the guilty party. 28 percent continued thinking that Germany was uh, uh, guilty. And 53%, uh, that's the majority, who just did not have an opinion. They heard something but didn't know who did it. And uh, this terrible event, the accident uh, with the airplane, it did not change much in those perceptions. So from my uh, viewpoint, the fact that many people in our country continue uh, to believe uh, that the Germans did it and all uh, state uh, all uh, information that the USA had done it and this is just like uh, a plot against Russia a big campaign against Russia and people who believe in that it's not their guilt it's their problem they don't know facts they don't uh, understand facts so we need to continue enlightenment uh, continue public awareness efforts and bring facts to people because facts c c persuade better than anything else we don't need to create an impression that memorial is that key location or maybe the single location where they speak about cutting that's not true in fact Those feelings that the uh, problem of cutting is a problem for us, for our uh, public uh, thinking, 
public conscience. The number of those people who feel it is growing, and uh, this uh, can be our only hope for future uh, hopeful uh, change in public conscience that it will uh, take one day when the level of awareness will uh, reach and uh, surpass some critical level. Uh, I want to, before we uh, move to questions, uh, I also want to uh, give uh, a chance uh, for uh, our honored guest, Kazimierz Eitner, to introduce himself. He's the grandson of one of the victims of the massacre. So please, sir. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, very quickly, uh, I just wanted to give a personal character to the atrocity. My grandfather came from Wielkopolska, the German-occupied part of Poland prior to World War I. He lived in Germany for about a decade, working and starting his family there, and came back to Poland uh, to be a representative of the Poles in Germany in the first same Genitsovi, the parliament, district parliament in Poznań. He uh, proceeded to train in the national police, and uh, at the outset of the war, he was uh, the head of a police uh, precinct in, uh, right on the German border. And of course, he ended up in Russian hands. Uh, he ended up in Ostashkov. And uh, he ended up, thanks to the excellent work of Dr. Guryanov, in the very first day that the prisoners were shipped to Kalinin to be killed. Um, the rest of my family, my other grandfather having been an Osadnik, having fought in that Polish-Bolshevik war you referred to, the rest of my family, entire family on both sides, were deported to Russian labor camps in 1940, uh, ended up getting out through Iran, and ended up in refugee camps in Tanganyika, British East Africa. And it was in 1948 that my grandmother, Mrs. Eitner, learned uh, from a letter sent to her from her sister's inquiries with the Polish embassy in Moscow that, yes, in fact, her husband had been killed in Katyn at the hands of the Hitlerites, which, of course, they didn't believe for a minute because they had a postcard from him from uh, Christmas Day 1939 from Ostashkov. So my own personal history underscores everything that was said here, and I thank you very much for this. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, do we have questions from the audience? Please, right here. Please wait for the microphone. Please introduce yourselves, and uh, let's be brief because we have uh, in, in stating your question, please. Uh, John Tropp, I have a question for Professor uh, Novak. What's the best book to read about the Polish operation of the NKVD? Actually, uh, I mentioned two uh, very good American books that are available. I mean Norman Neimark, uh, professor of Stanford University, Stalin's Genocides. And uh, of course only a part, but the central part of this book is about uh, Polish operation from 1937-1938. Also Timothy Snyder in his Bloodlands, uh, a whole chapter uh, dedicates to this uh, operation. And uh, the third book uh, of a renowned American scholar that I want to recommend is the book also mentioned by me that is Terry Martin's Affirmative Action Empire, 
about the Soviet, it was published uh, by Cornell University, his professor at Harvard. It is about uh, a general nationality policy of Stalin's uh, Soviet Union, but again, Polish operation is a central part of this narrative. Unfortunately, I must admit, there is no single good academic book written by Polish historians, though there are a lot of interesting uh, sources published in Poland, especially after Ukrainian archives of KGB were opened to, uh, to, to actually academic investigation. And two thick volumes of these documents from Ukrainian KGB concerning Kharkov uh, uh, operation uh, are now available. Uh, so this is the fourth book that I would recommend. Of course, there are other books, very, very good, very important, by Janusz Zawodny, by uh, Józef Matzkiewicz, but uh, these are supplemented by new knowledge of documents that we learned only after 1990. Thank you. Do we have, okay, over there, please. Hi, uh, my name is Alex Schmidt. Uh, so I have a question. Uh, you said that there's, it's possible, obviously you can't go in Stalin's mind, but there was a possible uh, that it could be revenge the, for the uh, uh, 1920 independence war between Polish and Soviet Union. So I have a question. Um, is, it, is it also possible if it could have been down to uh, geopolitics under Machiavelli's principle that you get rid of all the opposition so there's no rebellion as well? Uh, what she says in The Prince in Machiavelli, where you get rid of all the opposition and the higher-ups so that the rebellions can't happen. So how much do you think of it was more personal revenge, and how much do you think was geopolitics? Mm -hmm. Either professor could answer. So uh, I must say that I agree completely with uh, Dr. Guryanov that personal elements didn't play, uh, according to my knowledge, uh, key importance. There are interesting studies of Stalin's... Uh, personal relationship to different nationalities. For example, another uh, very good American uh, historian, Professor Hiroaki Kuromiya from Indiana University, published a very interesting study about this issue. And he says that Stalin was not personally anti-Polish. He was anti-any nationality <laughs> against any nation, save maybe his imagined construct of Russian Empire, Russian Soviet Empire, but with Russia in its center. But he could kill as many Russians as he could, uh, just like with Poles or with any other nations. So he was cold-blooded, unimaginably cold-blooded politician, geopolitical politician. And I think these geopolitical reasons that identified Polish elite with anti-imperial Russian, anti-Soviet, anti-communist side, uh, were predominant in his decision. Uh, I mentioned this Finland context uh, because, of course, Stalin thought all the time the same about Polish elites. But the moment when he decided that it is the best time to kill them came exactly at that particular, I would say, overlap with the end of Finland, Finnish war. No, uh, you know, I'm not really an expert, and I never uh, studied possible motives of Stalin, so it, I never tried to understand his motivations. But from my perspective, what I think what's written in the document signed by Beria is sufficient. I have a hypothesis of sorts. 
which uh, is slightly different from what uh, was being said here about this decision. I think, but I am not insisting on it uh, with documents, even though there are some documents which may be indications and uh, they are consistent with that hypothesis. And uh, it is that the whole decision about shooting Polish prisoners of war was made kind of uh, by incident, incidental. Initially, when they were kept prisoners and uh, in those camps uh, since the fall of 1939 and early 1940, there was no thought about physically liquidating those 8.5 thousand military officers plus 5.5 thousand police um, uh, servants and some other law enforcement uh, agency officials. So this whole idea about uh, the possibility of shooting them, there's, there's a suggestion that this idea was first came up uh, in the end of uh, February of 1940. This is uh, published by Natalia Lebedeva, and there are some documents which confirm that that uh, could be the case. And so there was some uh, moment of, uh, in, uh, it was kind of a uh, happening. Uh, the uh, NKVD uh, office submitted proposals um, um, that included uh, setting free some of these uh, prisoners, those who were older and sick, and uh, reserve officers who were primarily civilians, such as uh, doctors and teachers. In fact, uh, the biggest professional group in Kozelsk were teachers recruited uh, to the military service and were commissioned officers uh, just at the beginning of the war. So uh, the chief of the administration uh, for um, prisoners of war were saying, we can uh, set free those who have no personal um, uh, compromising in information. But I think this uh, draft was sent to Merkulov, and Merkulov immediately sent the orders to transfer all others in accordance with the proposal of uh, Mr. Supranenko. He ordered to send them uh, to prisons to actually do personal investigations on each, because prior to that, such investigation was only done based on for, for individuals of police officers. Police officers were uh, supposed to be sentenced for three, five, or eight years of imprisonment and sent to gulag camps. So this um, uh, military prisoners of war uh, administration was waiting for this to happen because they had too much work on their hands. So Merkulov sent those orders and they began to send some of these uh, little groups of those officers, the more serious ones, from camps to prisons for further investigation. And uh, I think that Merkulov uh, feared to uh, get uh, that uh, decision, make the decision to set free others without uh, approval of Beria and Stalin. So he went to Beria, and then Beria came to Stalin, and they may have, ha have had a conversation. And uh, they dis probably may have decided, let's, it's much simpler to just shoot them. 
And Natalia Lebedev believes that the key threat at that time, they did not think much about the future decapitation of the um, Polish uh, nation. Uh, the, their thinking was different. They remembered uh, civil war in Russia, which started with the uprising of uh, Czechoslovak, uh, so-called Czechoslovak core, the prisoners of war who were kept in uh, Siberia, and uh, that's how the civil war had started. They also remembered the proposals to use Polish uh, military personnel in the war uh, on the side of um, Finland. So all those threats were um, uh, considered, and that's just a hypothesis. They were thinking, well, if there is such an attack on uh, Baku oil reserves, and uh, those uh, prisoners of war may start an uprising. And this is something that uh, sounds like an alternative hypothesis, but um, the documents which I studied, this proposal to um, set some of them free and others to be placed under investigation, uh, there is some consistency in the facts, but I cannot uh, claim that this hypothesis is true. But uh, if from the very beginning investigation was done in all three camps, then the decision, uh, then some things would not have happened. Supranyanko would not go to Beria, Beria would not go to Merkulov, or Merkulov to Beria, Beria to Stalin. But when all these things were happening, there is also a hypothesis that the decision was made only in that little corridor of time between the end of Finnish war like March 13th is when it was over, and the beginning of uh, German invasion into Norway and Denmark. That was the little uh, window of time, because afterwards, according to Anders' recollections, uh, he was uh, sharing Berling's uh, um, recollections that uh, in the fall of uh, 1940, Beria and Stalin had uh, been uh, thinking that maybe they should not have done that, some kind of a feeling like that. But, but it's, uh, it's too late to talk about it. Good afternoon, Andrzej Dombrowski, Polish Institute of International Affairs, DC office. Um, less of a question, more of a favor to Professor uh, Andrzej Novak. Could you elaborate on two following topics? Uh, the first, could you explain more about um, the uh, social and ethnical structure of the uh, uh, Polish officers from the auxiliary um, uh, forces? Um, because there is an interesting story behind that. And uh, the second one, you said something about um, the British approach uh, towards the, um, the cutting mothers, but would you like to uh, elaborate more on uh, what was the political uh, stance of the um, other Western allies, United States and France? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I will begin from the second question. Actually, there is another book which I can recommend to answer your second question. Eugenia Marez, uh, Polish-British scholar who published a book uh, about cutting lie in England, specifically in England or in the United Kingdom. That's a very sad story, actually. 
uh, because as long as till 1973, uh, uh, it was almost like in uh, communist Poland. No one could say openly anything about cutting in the United Kingdom. Only 30 years after 1943, the, the, the moment when cutting graves were revealed by the Germans, uh, there was this period of 30 years of ban for uh, access to archival materials from foreign office, documents from foreign office depicting uh, internal reactions of uh, foreign office clerks during that crisis, so to speak, diplomatic crisis with the Soviet Union that loomed on the horizon, were revealed and this actually moved the, the, the memory of, of cutting uh, to the open space in the, uh, in the United Kingdom, a monument to, to cutting uh, victims who was, was raised in, uh, in London afterwards. Um, actually, also a British officer uh, of uh, 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 POW, British POW, that uh, that was sent by Germans in a commission, international commission, to investigate cut and grace in 1943, Colonel Van Fleet, also uh, was able to publish his memories uh, from cut and grave only many years after 1973. It was simply impossible to, to him to do it in the United Kingdom due to so-called realistic school of thinking about history and politics. Um, as regards the United States, during the Cold War, uh, especially in its third stage, a so-called commission of uh, 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 Congressman uh, Madden from Indiana was set up, and it published its uh, multi-volume uh, investigation papers uh, in 1952, just before death, uh, actually December 1952, just before death of Stalin, but it was downplayed immediately, the results that were really uh, revealing, shocking, uh, due to the death of Stalin, because with the death of Stalin, American administration pondered that maybe there is a chance to improve relationship with the Soviet Union, so maybe we should stop investigating further cutting problem. Um, and that uh, that was roughly the, the the gist of my answer to your second question. As as regards the first question, um, again I can um, I can suggest to read Jerzy Wojek, one of very important Polish scholars who studied uh, uh, Katyn massacre, uh, his book about Katyn, where he very in a very detailed way studies. Uh, professions of those killed in cutting, um, especially in cutting because he didn't have access to other uh, three camps uh, or um, uh, prisons uh, victims. Uh, and this revealed that even if it was not aimed at Polish head, it really stroke at Polish head, uh, speaking symbolically or figuratively. Uh, number of uh, teachers, uh, medicine doctors, uh, um, lawyers, was significant not only symbolically, but it was an important percentage, I cannot quote it now, but it was an important percentage of all medicine doctors, all lawyers, all architects uh, in Poland. So it effectively hit Polish elites. So 
Unfortunately, I have to stop at this point. Mm -hmm. no. And I just want to add very quickly that uh, the professional breakdown of the victims of Katyn massacre uh, in Kozelsk uh, camp, the doctors, the teachers, the lawyers, we have that in our book published in 2015, including by their education levels, and the same applies to those shot uh, from Ostashkova camp in our latest book. This, uh, this concludes our session here, but we invite you to join us at the reception across the hall. And I want to thank the Polish Embassy for making the reception possible. Um, I recommend that if you want to speak to the speakers, uh, join, join us at the reception. They will be there, and it's, it's better if, uh, if you talk to them there. Um, uh, also, on the way to the reception and, and to the exhibit, please grab some books. Again, courtesy the, of the Polish Embassy, we have some books on the Cotton Massacre. And on the way back, please also, on the way out, please return your headsets. Thank you very much for joining us, and let's thank the speakers. Thank you.